Good to see each and every one of you tonight. Really, you could call Ezra a prophet, although he is not listed among the prophets in the Word of God. The great man of God. Ezra doesn't get the recognition that he deserves, and we will talk about him some to give you understanding why that statement is made. I believe that the book of Ezra is the only book that I have never ever gone through with you verse by verse. Now, we have covered the book of Ezra briefly and passed over it in times past and preached from it, but we've never gone verse by verse through the book of Ezra. It's the only book in the Bible that I remember not preaching verse by verse to you, okay? So tonight we will complete preaching every book in the Bible to you verse by verse. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it all one night, okay? But we start that journey in the book of Ezra. So if you'll turn there in the book of Ezra, beginning with verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all of his people? Is God be with him? And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing, Father, to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you for its inspiration, its revelation. We give you all praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. The key verse in the book of Ezra is found in the first verse. So if you'll look there, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord, say the word of the Lord, by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The book of Ezra deals with the word of God. It deals with the power and the place of God's word in God's people's life. Say with me, the power and the place of God's word in God's people's life. It is about the Word of God, okay, and the importance of the Word of God. In Ezra's day, the Word of God comes to prominence like it should be. In the history of the nation of Israel, before you get to the time of Ezra, all the writings, all the prophets, etc., did not receive proper recognition like they should have until the days of Ezra. When Ezra came on the scene, he brought a revival of the Word of God to the nation of Israel so that the nation of Israel put God's Word in the rightful place that it belonged. So the whole book of Ezra is going to deal with the Word of God 
in the life of the believer. Amen. So again, the key verse is found in chapter 1 and verse 1. Ezra was a great man of the Word of God. He was a son of a priest, which means he could have been a priest, but he was in captivity. But while he was in captivity, he studied the Word of God. Ezra is responsible for setting up synagogue worship from which we get a lot of the things that we do in our church. Synagogue worship. He is the one that is responsible for the canonization of Scripture, the Old Testament. And what that simply means is the accumulation of all the books of the Bible, of the Old Testament, putting them together and making up what we know to be the Old Testament Scripture. Ezra is responsible for doing that, for what is called the canonization of Scripture. That means there was a rule that was followed to determine what books would be in the Bible. And he established that rule or that canonization to determine what books would be in the Old Testament. So he is responsible not only for the synagogue worship, he is responsible literally uh, in some ways for the Bible that we have in our hands today in the Old Testament. That's how important this man was. He is also given the uh, recognition by scholars as being the man who established hermeneutics. Now, hermeneutics is a real big, big word, but it simply means the laws of interpretation. It's how you interpret the scripture. So this man has a lot, you know, about him that is very important for us to understand. So again, responsible for synagogue worship, responsible for the canonization of the Old Testament scripture as we know it, the putting together of that Bible and bringing it to us. Uh, responsible for putting together the laws of interpretation of the Bible called hermeneutics. He is also responsible for writing Psalm 119. Remember Psalm 119 deals with the Word of God line by line, line. I mean just all about the Word of God, Psalm 119. He's also responsible for putting the Psalms together, gathering them together. He not only wrote the book of Ezra, but he also wrote First and Second Chronicles. So Ezra, the one that we hardly ever read, and hardly ever preach. In fact, I'm telling you the truth. He's the last one of all of the Bible that I'm going to preach to you verse by verse. So even in, in me, you know, I don't put him in his rightful place as a preacher and as a pastor. Now, I don't know why that is, but it, that's the fact, okay? But he is a great man of God. He's a great revivalist. He's a great man about the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, bringing the Word of God uh, to the people of God. So we have much today that has come from what he accomplished in his life. Much of the worship that we have in church, the way we do church, the way we interpret the scripture, the laws that we use to, use to interpret the scripture, the scripture itself, amen, having the Bible in our hand. Psalm 119, that whole psalm, long psalm about the word of God, First and Second Chronicles, all of that is because of Ezra, this great man of God. Say praise the Lord. Amen. So we got a lot to look at in the book of Ezra and I'm excited about it. First and second chapter of the book of Ezra deals with the fulfillment of the word of God. It tells us in verse one that the scripture out of the mouth of Jeremiah is fulfilled when God stirs up Cyrus to give a decree allowing Judah to go back to the land and to rebuild their temple. So we have the fulfillment of the scripture. 
a man by the name of Cyrus that Isaiah prophesied about 170 years before he was ever born. He was called by name by the prophet Isaiah. This man is born. He becomes uh, uh, the ruler, Cyrus the Great, the Medo-Persian Empire. He conquered Babylon. Are you with me now? And after his conquering of Babylon, he gives a decree allowing Israel to go back to their homeland. So the man that God prophesied his name 170 years before he was ever born is now here. He's writing the decree allowing Israel to go back to the homeland, just like Jeremiah said would take place. They would be in captivity for 70 years, and then they would return to their land and rebuild the temple, so on and so forth. So chapter 1 and 2, we have the fulfillment of the Word of God. Okay? I uh, won't get into a lot of detail on it yet. And then chapter 2, we deal with a lot of the genealogies, the people that returned from captivity back to the land of Israel or Jerusalem. 40 to 50,000 uh, people returning back to Israel in the first uh, return. There's three returns. Okay? Now, the first return is under Zerubbabel. Okay, you with me? Okay. So and that's what you're going to see in chapter 2. You're going to see the decrees given. And in chapter 2, you see the return of the people, around forty to 50,000 people. And that's estimated that four hundred to 500,000 people were in Babylon or Medo-Persia. So only 10% of them went back home. The rest of them stayed in Babylon. Okay? So but anyway, 40, 50,000 people or so returned back. We have the genealogy given of those people in Ezra uh, chapter 2. With me so far? Okay, praise the Lord. Now, that first return is under Zerubbabel. There's a second return, and that's under Ezra. Okay? The man who is writing the book Ezra, he's going to bring a group of people with him. That's called the second return. Are y'all with me so far? Okay, verse chapters 1 through chapter 6 deals with the return under Zerubbabel, the godly political leader, and Joshua, who was the religious leader, or the high priest. Chapters 1 through 6, first return, Zerubbabel, the godly political leader, and Joshua, the religious leader. Okay, chapter 7 through 10 deals with Ezra and the return under Ezra. Chapter 1 through 6 is historical. Chapter 7 through 10 is autobiographical. It deals with Ezra. All right, the second return. Now, the third return of the people is under Nehemiah. Say with me, Nehemiah. And that's where the book of Nehemiah comes in. Okay, so three returns of the people. Now, in between the sixth and the seventh chapter, there's about 50, 60, 50 to 60 year gap. Okay? The first six chapters under the Zerubbabel return, Ezra's not even alive. He's not even born yet. If he has been born, he's a little kid. Okay? I'm just giving this to you, giving this information so you'll understand. So we have in uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, we have the people that returned under Zerubbabel, the political leader and the religious leader of Joshua. Then in chapter 3, we see that they will obey the word of God. Chapter 1 and 2 deals with the fulfillment of the Word of God. Chapter 3 deals with obeying the Word of God. And the way they do that is they set the, the uh, altar of God back up. 
before they build any of their own houses, before they look for houses to live in, the first thing they do when they get back, okay, to this land of Jerusalem is to make sure that the way they're going to worship God, how they're going to worship God is set up in their life. Okay? So before they build any of their houses, before they get their own homes, the first thing they do is re-erect the altar of God. You see? So the importance, again, of obeying the Word of God, making sure you've got an altar in your life. And they put God first by re-erecting the altar. And I'm talking about the big altar. Okay? Where sacrifices would have been offered. Sacrifices had not been offered for over 70 years. Now they've returned back to their land in the third chapter of the book of Ezra. We see the re-erection of the altar of God and sacrifice is going to be resumed. Okay? So they can get the theology right. So that they can get the worship of God right in chapter 3. And they put that first before they build even their own homes. Okay? So if you'll do that in your life, if you'll always put God first before you put anything else in your life, if you will put God first, the worship of God in your life, make sure the Word of God is right in your life, then God will help you build your house. The first thing they did was they erected an altar. They re-erected the altar of God Almighty. Say praise the Lord. And then we'll go from there and we'll see the obeying of the Word of God in the rebuilding of the temple of the Lord. Say with me, the rebuilding of the temple of the Lord. You're going to see the altar re-erected. You're going to see the building of the temple of the Lord that was destroyed in the captivity time. Okay? Praise the Lord. So the, re the obeying of the Word of God in the building of the temple. Then you're going to see Zerubbabel is going to come on the scene and he has a commission. And that commission is to present or to preach the Word of God to the people that are in the land. And when he does, when he starts preaching to the people, the Bible tells us there is a trembling that takes place in the land. A powerful revival breaks out. So much so that the people stand in the rain all day long as Zerubbabel stands in the pulpit just like this. In fact, he is given credit for being the man to establish a pulpit. He stands at that pulpit with the Word of God and he declares the Word of God to the people as they stand in the rain all day long. When he gets through preaching to them the Word of God, the Bible says they are trembling with reverence and respect to the Word of God and they repent of the sin that is in their life. And one of the greatest revivals that the world has ever seen took place under the preaching of a man by the name of Ezra. Say, say Ezra. I may have said Zerubbabel. It was Ezra that was standing there and preaching the Word of God. Okay, so you with me so far? Chapter 1, the fulfillment of the Word of God. Chapter 2, uh, chapter 1 and 2, the fulfillment of the Word of God. Chapter 3, obeying the Word of God by re-erecting the altar. Okay? Then we have obeying the Word of God by building the temple of the Lord. We have a commission of Zerubbabel to preach the Word of God, the trembling at the Word of God, and the revival uh, that takes place as the Word of God is preached. So again, it's about the power and the place of the Word of God in the people of God's life. Amen. Now we need that. We need that in this hour. If we're not careful, we'll focus on spirit and we won't preach Word. 
See, and sometimes, sometimes people get caught up in the word and they don't go with the gifts of the spirit. We need both. We need the spirit and we need the word of God. You know, I'm a word preacher. You're going to come to this church. You're going to hear the word of God because I'm a word preacher. I believe in this, the power of the spirit, the anointing of God's spirit. But I'm not going to get up and just talk to you. I'm going to preach the word to you. I'm going to exegete the scripture. I'm going to try to interpret this scripture. I'm going to try to teach you the word of God because that to me is the most important thing that I can do. You'll notice even at the beginning of our services, I don't spend a lot of time talking a lot of stuff. You know, I go right, I get right into the word of God and, and I try to expound the word of God to you because to me, it is the most important thing that we do is declaring God's word. Okay. So that was Ezra. He brought the word of God back to its rightful place in the nation of Israel. And tremendous revival broke out as a result of that. That man had tremendous conviction for the word of God. So that even though he couldn't be a priest being captive in Babylon before the release, that man spent time studying the word of God. So when it, got, when it was time for him to do what God called him to do, he was equipped to do it. Praise the Lord, church. Amen. So we're going to get into the book of Ezra. We're going to see a lot of awesome things in the book of Ezra. It's going to be a tremendous blessing to you. I'm excited about it because it's about the Word of God. The focus is about the Word of God and the power of the Word of God in your life. Now let me run through a few dates here. I don't want to confuse you too much, but I'm going to run through some dates so you will understand the timing of the book uh, as to it correlates to other books. Now, Ezra, Nehemiah, you with me so far? Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and then we have books like Haggai, Malachi, uh, Zechariah, Malachi. Those six books right there are the last books of the Old Testament. Ezra falls in that time of restoration. He falls in the time of rebuilding. Amen. So it's a powerful thing that's happening. Zion is being restored. Right? Revival's taking place. The temple's being built. The people are turning to God. And when they start falling away into apostasy, uh, Ezra rises up and preaches the word of God to him, prays for him. As he prays for him and preaches the word of God, they believe it or not, it works. They repent of their apostasy. Okay? So it, it's, it's an awesome time of restoration. It's an awesome time of building, but it's also a time that has lapses in it. And it shows you what to do when that happens, when the people of God and the church start going to apostasy. What does the man do? He starts praying. He prays and he preaches. He prays and he preaches. When he prays and he preaches, sometimes it works. And he didn't just pray, he cried when he prayed. When he saw the condition of the people, he cried, he wept, he mourned over the sinful condition of the church. And that crying, that those tears that flowed down his face, and that prayer that he offered to God, it worked. And when he stood up and declared the word of God, the people responded to that and they turned from their sin. They turned their back on their sin. And they started living for the Lord. And Jeremiah cried. He cried tears. And he preached the word of God, but it didn't work. It didn't work in Jeremiah's day. The people were too far gone. But in Ezra's day, you're going to see it. In that time of restoration and rebuilding, you're going to see when those people start going into apostasy, that man starts crying and he starts praying and he starts preaching and thank God it works. Revival hit those people. And it was such a, as I said, such a powerful revival 
They stood there in the rain all day long. I mean, we'd probably be running. We'd probably be looking for buildings to hide in to get out of the rain. Those people stood in the rain and they stood there trembling. And they, were, they confessed their sin and they turned their back on their sin and decided they were going to live for God. And it was because of the Word of God that that man preached and the Word of God that that man believed. Say praise the Lord. All right. Now, as you know, this book is a book of restoration. It's after captivity. So we have a, a history for Israel when they went into captivity. 721, 722 B.C. We have the ten tribes went into Assyrian captivity. So write that down. And then we have a captivity. Uh, there were three separate deportations of the people of God. The final one took place in 586 to 587 B.C. Okay? The final one. The temple was burned. The cities burned in Jerusalem. And uh, the final deportation, 586 to 587, the people are taken into captivity. Okay? You with me so far? Now, we go from there uh, in that final captivity, 586 to 587. Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. Okay? He's carried away by Babylon. The city's burned. The temple is destroyed. That's the captivity, the final captivity. Now, October the 29th, 539 B.C., Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus. Cyrus the Great, okay, of whom we've already mentioned and who Ezra talks about. Babylon was defeated by Cyrus the Great. The Medo-Persian Empire conquered Babylon, overthrew them. Now, y'all remember how that happened, right? Okay, remember Darius, his five-star general? Remember Daniel chapter 5, we preached it to you not long ago, the handwriting over on the wall, the man's hand? Okay, that night, what happened? Well, Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. And the way it fell was the river Euphrates was diverted and the uh, Middle Persian army went underneath the walls of the city, conquered Babylon, destroyed the king that defiled the vessels of God. Y'all remember that story? Okay, so that happened under Cyrus the Great's reign, but he didn't go to Babylon that night, as far as I know. He sent his five-star general, Darius the Mede, and Darius the Mede, the one that actually executed the downfall of the Babylonian Empire, okay? So this little history lesson, the Babylonian Empire, then the Medo-Persian Empire, that took place October the 29th, 539, B.C. Okay? Now, shortly after that, uh, we have the decree of Cyrus. 538 B.C., Cyrus issues a decree for the people to go back and rebuild the city and the temple in Jerusalem. Okay? So he's a Medo-Persian ruler, right? He is a uh, heathen. The Bible never says that he was a believer in God. He recognizes God. In fact, Ezra chapter 1, I already read to you verse 1, he recognized the sovereignty of God, that God's the one that gave him his kingdom. But the Bible never says that Cyrus the Great was a believer in God. He recognized the sovereignty of God. And in recognizing the sovereignty of God, that it was God, the one God, that gave him his kingdom, he issued a decree allowing uh, Jerusalem or Judah to go back home, the people to go back home, and to rebuild the city uh, and the temple. Okay? Say amen. Y'all with me so far? 
what is sad is I said only 40 to 50,000 people out of a possible 400 to 500,000 people went back. That means only 10% of the people wanted to go, go to Jerusalem and rebuild the worship center. That's sad. They were so uh, focused on living in Babylon. They were comfortable living in Babylon, living surrounded by all of those false gods. They raised their children there. You know, many of them worked there. So why leave Babylon? Just, just be comfortable. You got a good job. You raised your kids here. It doesn't matter if you got false worship all around you. Just stay here in Babylon. Obviously, Babylon was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Correct? And then, the, then Cyrus gives the decree to allow them to go home. But 450,000 or so stayed in Babylon. Stayed in Medo-Persia, as it will. You understand what I'm trying to say? Because, you know, Medo-Persia conquered Babylon. So that's the Medo-Persian Empire, but it's Babylon that they're staying in. Now, there's a problem with that. And at the same time, so at the same time, we have Satan is going to rise up against the people of God in Jerusalem as they try to build the temple of the Lord, etc. The same devil is going to try to destroy those who stayed in Babylon using Haman. Okay? 400 to 500, 450,000 people that stayed home, they almost died. They almost got hung by Haman. If it hadn't been for Esther and God's divine intervention to saving those people, they'd all have been hung. All of them would have been hung. And it's just the grace of God that they didn't. But see, the problem is they were comfortable living in the world. They were comfortable living surrounded by false gods. They didn't want to get up according to the words of the prophets. They didn't want to get up according to the decree of Cyrus and, and travel several hundred miles through a hot desert so that they could go over there and rebuild the temple, the center of the worship of God and the city. They were out of God's will. You hear what I'm saying? They should have got up and they should have went back and helped build that temple, the worship center of the Lord there in Jerusalem, that they were comfortable living in the world. And that's where most of the church is today. They're comfortable just living in the world. Don't bother me with the truth. You know, don't bother me with the worship of the true God. I'm comfortable just as long as I have a good job, a lot of money coming in. Don't bother me with going to church. Don't bother me with worshiping God. I just want to raise my kids. I want to have a lot of money in the bank. I want to have a good job. And that was the condition of the people in the days of Cyrus's decree. As long as they had money in the bank, good job. You know, why travel over there and build the house of God? Why build the temple? Why take the time to do that? We're doing all right where we are. Okay, say praise the Lord. All right, so right after, as I said, uh, October 29, 539 B.C., Babylon fell to the Medo-Persians. Cyrus was the ruler, but Darius, his five-star general, was the one that actually executed it. 538 B.C., Cyrus issued the decree to rebuild the city and the temple. Okay? As I said, Isaiah called him by name 170 years before he was even born. Now, okay, you got those dates. 539 B.C., uh, Babylon fell, 538, decree to allow Israel or Jerusalem and Judah to go back home. 536 B.C. Okay, we have Zerubbabel, a godly political leader, and Joshua, a religious leader, around 40 to 50,000 people uh, depart for a return, the first return, 536 B.C. 
okay? Now, October the 5th, 536 B.C., that's the third chapter I made reference to. That's when they re-erect the altar of God Almighty. Okay? October the 5th, 536. In 535 B.C., the temple is begun. They begin to rebuild the temple. Okay? They only spend a short period of time building it. We'll see that as we get to the book. Uh, they get discouraged, you know, in the process of building it. They lay the foundation whatnot. And they get discouraged in building the house of God. So you know what God does? He sends two prophets, one by the guy, one by the name of Zechariah. And in the time of their discouragement, Haggai and Zechariah says, get to it. Finish building the house of God. At that point, though, the problem has sort of shifted. In the third chapter, they re-erected the altars of God before they built their own houses. But after the foundation is laid, they get discouraged, they quit building the house of God, then they start building their own houses. And Haggai comes along and says, hey, what's the problem here? What are you doing? You're building your own house, but God's house is not built. See, so this isn't right. You're building your own house, and God's house is not built. So Haggai and Zechariah basically saying, get with it, get to it, build God's house. You've already got your house. Build God's house. So Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets of God, preaching the word of God, are encouraging the people to once again build the house of the Lord. Okay, they stop building. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as we look at the book in more detail. Okay? So 535, the temple is started. In 522, prophets Haggai and Zechariah are raised up by God. And this is still in the Zerubbabel and Joshua time frame to encourage them to build. Okay, 516 B.C., the temple is finished. So about 20 years before the temple is actually completed. Uh, 20 years after they've been in the land. 516 B.C., uh, 516 BC the temple is built. Now, 478 B.C., we have Queen Esther in Persia. 478. So in the we have the book called Esther. This gives you the time frame of her reign, 478 B.C. Then the second group goes to Jerusalem. That's under Ezra, and that's going to be in 455 B.C. 455 B.C. Okay, which brings you to the seventh chapter of the book of Ezra. Seventh chapter through the tenth chapter is the second return under Ezra and only you know maybe two to five thousand people return with them the third group Nehemiah about 445 BC 445 BC to 444 BC okay so if you caught those dates you'll understand that Ezra doesn't even go to Jerusalem until approximately 80 years after Zerubbabel and Joshua take the first group. So Ezra probably wasn't even alive when Zerubbabel and Joshua took the first group, although he is responsible for writing those chapters 1 through 6 that was under the Zerubbabel and Joshua return. Okay? If he was alive, he was a little kid. Okay, five kings in the book of Ezra that you really need to understand 
you know, and a lot of this stuff is historical and you probably don't really understand the importance of it. But I will tell you, if you're to understand the book of Daniel and many of the Old Testament prophets, you must have these dates. These dates are extremely important for you to understand Bible prophecy. Okay? Because as I said, Ezra, Ezra, uh, the time of the building of the temple, we got Haggai, we got Zechariah prophesying, you know, and then later on, Malachi will come on the scene. So you've got to have these dates in place so you'll know, uh, be able to interpret prophecy. Now, five kings in the book of Ezra. Okay? The background. All right. In the return period, there is Cyrus the Great, which we've already read about in Ezra chapter 1. Cyrus the Great, he is the king of Persia. He's the one that defeated Babylon and gave the decree for Judah to return back to their land. Okay? And then following Cyrus, we have Cambyses, and this is his son. Okay? Cambyses. He stops the work of the temple for a short period of time. And we'll see that in the book of Ezra. Okay? How that happens. What the devil does. See, the devil rises up and he uses different methods. And we'll talk about his methods. First of all, he tries to get the people to compromise. Then they won't compromise, so then he raises up persecution against them. Okay? But we'll talk about how the devil works. How he tries to stop. But under Cambyses, uh, this is Cyrus's son. The work is stopped for a short period of time. Then we have Darius the Great. Darius the Great is not Darius the Mede in the book of Daniel. Darius the Great. Allows the temple to continue in the time of Ezra. Okay. But it's not the same Darius as the one that's in Daniel. During Darius's day, we also, that's when we have Haggai and Zechariah, uh, they will prophesy. Okay? Then we have the son of Darius. His name is Xerxes. Xerxes. He's Xerxes the first. Now, he is the husband of Queen Esther. In the book of Esther, you'll come across this term, Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. Um, that's probably a title for the king. Okay? But Ahasuerus is the Xerxes that I'm making reference to. He was married to Queen Esther. Okay? And then you have Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes ruled the Medo-Persian Empire in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So when Ezra goes back with the second group, it's Artaxerxes that's the king at that time. Okay? Praise the Lord. First six chapters are historical. Seven through ten are autobiographical. All right? So what we see then is the actual fulfillment of God's word and the place of God's word in the book of Ezra. And that's basically all I'm going to try to do tonight. I'm not going to go and start teaching you the book of Ezra, but I want to give you that background, all right? So I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. I pray that God's Word will find His place and power in your life as we begin to teach the book of Ezra to you, okay? Amen. God bless you. Let's stand.
Father, we thank you right now for your presence. We thank you for this new book that we're going to begin. We ask God that you'll give us wisdom and understanding and strength and power and anointing. We thank you for the word of God that you have given us. Thank you for its power and its place in our life. Father, help us to understand that everything that is written in it will be fulfilled. Let us obey it. Let us hear it like the people in Ezra's day. Father, we thank you today for it. We pray, God, that this church would move into a place where it would tremble at the preaching of your word. If there be anything in us, God, or in this church that is displeasing to you, that we would forsake that. Lord, teach us to believe and to obey your word as in the days of Ezra. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.